together. We, I'm going to put it in, in air quotes. We finished a series called Community Matters last week, which was giving this arc of, of what God had created originally and what where that was all headed and everything in between that we were trying to discuss. It was kind of the, a theological development of that idea with the main thing to be God is, God is building a people together. He's put us together and it's headed somewhere, but in the in-between, between what God originally created and what God is still working toward, uh, we, uh, we have ways we operate and care and share. And so that was 10 weeks, and as we were preparing for the next series, which will start in December, I, I'm doing a little postscript. And so, you know, the, the, the PS of the series, whatever you want to call it, the postscript of this idea. And you're just going to talk about two aspects of <clears throat> uh, church life, which I, I honestly, the first one being today, I don't generally... I, I, you, you might, you'll hear it in the member class, but I don't say it here, not because I'm trying to hide it, but that's just generally I can communicate it in the member class. And the other one is on, on just worship, corporate worship and why we gather. And so there's two things. One is, one is membership and, and, and being connected to, identified with a local body. Uh, and the other one is corporate worship, which is committing to regularly be together with that local body to worship the Lord, remember him and what he's done. Because worship fundamentally is remembrance. Uh, that's what, what we do. We get together and we recall, we recount, we speak, we sing, we, we hear, uh, we listen. All, all those things that we do, it's all remembering the work of God for us, the work of God in the world. And so worship really is just constant remembrance of Him and His power and His might and His acts and His salvation. And so those two things are where we're going and we'll see how it goes. I've actually, I was telling Derek in the back, I, I've never preached a sermon on church membership. So before your eyes roll back in your head, you go, womp, womp, here we go. Or maybe if you have like a, a, like a Baptist background, you're like, let's go, I'm ready. I don't know where we're going to be in between. Uh, because the church that I actually came to faith in, you would join that church by just basically saying, I want to be in this church. I mean, that's it. Like you walk up and you'd be like, I want to join. And you just communicate that you want to join. They're like, great. And then like after that, they'd be like, here are our new members. And you'd be like, that was it. I didn't have to tell you anything about me. I didn't have to tell you anything about Jesus. I just kind of had to say, here I am. And they'd go, come on in. And so uh, that probably wasn't th- the best way to do it. Just my opinion. But... Why, as we think about the community of faith and what God is doing, why does it matter to be attached to a local church? That's, I think it's a, a, a legitimate question that we ask because I would, I would assume, especially if you've played the church game a while, you know people all over, right? You have, oh yeah, and, and you've probably been to three or four or five or six or seven local churches in your life, and so you're like, why any one? It's like with each one you leave, it becomes that much easier to leave the next one, or with each one you go to. Like, 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 so, so like you have this kind of history of church life everywhere. And so I just want to start with the idea of family first. I would guess, and Genesis, even as a church, has multiple generations of families here, like, you know, related by blood or adoption, like that's, that, you'll see that around. You go, hey, there's a family, and there's a grandparent, and there's a grandkid. Well, we see that. But if you ask me, just generally... On my best day, you ask me who my children are, I can point them out of a crowd. That one, that one, that one. Not that one. Not that one. That one wants to be, but he's not. If you ask me who my children's friends are, I can generally tell you who my children's friends are. I might not be able to point them out of a crowd, but I can name them. Um, So yeah, I can tell you my kids, I can tell you my children's friends. If you ask me who my spouse is, I can... 
you know, nine times out of ten, Courtney. I got it. But I hope you can do the same things, if, if, perhaps with more accuracy than even I. And, and the thing about it is we all recognize different levels of relationship in our life. We recognize who certain people are and who certain people aren't. Uh, you know, there are some people who, when they walk into our house, and the list is, is, can be rather long, and they walk into our house, we don't expect them to knock. They just walk in. There's others that if they walked in, we're calling the police. So, so we know that, right? Like, so we, we get it. Yeah, it, it's you. It is, Michael. Yeah, he was like, it's, that's me. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. It is. So there's people who can walk in. There's people who can open up the fridge, right? We talk about having refrigerator rights. They, can, they, can, they just have access to all your food, access to your pantry. And so you have, you have that level of relationship. You have the people who, like, need a knock before they come in, let you know they're here. Uh, you have the people that you won't answer the door for. And all of that really is about recognizing, isn't it? About recognizing relationship. Recognizing how we relate to one another and what that level of relationship means for the people involved. And it's important, I would say, for you just as a human being to recognize those types of relationships. You might not even realize it, but you, 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 you list off certain rights or privileges or ways to engage based upon the type of relationships that you have. And when we think about church, you kind of go, is it necessary to kind of identify how I relate to my church? Is it necessary to identify how I, how I relate to this church? You know, and, and some might be saying yes, and some might be going, no, I mean, we're the church. They kind of do, we're the church. We are the body, and it's everywhere, and it's, it's ubiquitous, and you just always are a part of wherever. Okay. So some people would go, yes, you've got to identify. Some people would go, no, you don't have to identify. And, um, there are other people who might say, uh, church matters to me a lot. There's other people who say, like, church, I don't just mean participating in this thing, right? Like this moment, though this is an important moment. I mean being connected to these people as we just went through 10 weeks, being connected to these people in real and meaningful ways. But others might say, well, I've been involved in this Bible study for like 30 years, and that's kind of my church. That's kind of my church. And I'm like, is it? <laughs> is it? Like, it's, it couldn't be awesome and still not be your church, it can be great and edifying and encouraging and still not be your church. Still not, like, like so, so it's one of those things where I go, just because it isn't your church doesn't mean that it's not valuable. It can be incredibly valuable and not be a part of your local church family. But at the same time, if you're saying it is your church, then you're probably shortchanging the people who would consider you their church. <laughs> right? You're probably not actually throwing in and participating with that local family like maybe the Lord might have you. Now, why is this a weird topic for us? Because I asked the question, is church membership biblical? I'm going to get different answers from this room, and I get that. Because we all kind of supply what we mean, don't we? We kind of go, oh, yeah, well, where, where do we see membership language in the church except that we are members of right, Christ's body or members of one another? And, like, that's, that's really speaking to a reality, not to some process, you know, and some covenant that you sign and some relationship that you have to a local church. So why would we even talk about it that way? Why would we speak about it that way? Why would we say, oh, yeah, well, church membership is certainly biblical, or no, it's not biblical. And if you talk to the missionary, the missionary might give a different response, but they might also be in a context where there are no churches. There are no churches. And so 
With whom do you participate? With whom do you fellowship? You know, so how the church might express membership in any given context is one thing. But whether or not that context should exist or that, that, that expression should exist is another. And so what I'm going to say today in, in a few passages is my hope is to go, yes, it is a biblical idea. And yes, you should be a part of a local church. That's essentially it. Yes, church membership is biblical, and yes, you should be, a, if you are a Christian, right? If you're not a Christian, we've got to work on the Jesus thing first, and then we can go to the local church part. Uh, but yes it's, yes, it's biblical, and yes, you should be a part of it. You should be committed to a local body of believers. Those are the two things I'm going to say. And you actually, when you make this argument, this is going to be a little scary, we make the argument about authority and, and recognizing authority versus making the argument about you know, everything, all the other aspects. And, I, and, and there's a reason for that. It's because that's probably the one place where you feel it the most. Right? Like, it's not as if the Lord limits your spiritual giftedness only to a, a local group of people. Right? Like, you can, you can encourage and edify and speak to people and, and pray for people. You, you, you can do that everywhere. You can express your giftedness in different ways for a local body of believers, but also broaden that out to a larger body of believers. And so you can use that to build up the church. I'm not saying don't. But, but when you see some of these passages that we will look at today, what you'll see is there is a relationship that is assumed in the New Testament about people and leaders. And this was interesting because maybe a year or a year and a half ago, I was teaching a member class and we went through, I do my argument and this is basically what I lay out. And I had a couple, uh, the husband in particular was like, they didn't come back. I'll just say that. We'll lead with the ending. They didn't come back. Because they were like, You're, you, you really are concerned about authority here. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, and no, I'm not. Like, I, I, have, I have nothing to wield. But looking at how the expression comes from these passages that we, we're gonna, about to go into. So we're going to look at three. Uh, three brief statements, really, from the book of Acts, the letter that Peter writes in 1 Peter, and the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at three specific statements that we see with relationship to leaders and, and members or congregants. And I would just also say this, that the New Testament itself assumes that believers are part of local churches. It assumes it. That's why it doesn't argue for it. It assumes it. In the same way that it doesn't argue for the Trinity because it assumes it, right? Like, like it doesn't, you're not going to see any New Testament epistle that's going to argue for the Trinity because the Trinity is a reality now, right? The Spirit came. Father, Son, and Spirit exist. And so it's writing from the reality, not trying to defend it. And so the New Testament epistles, I would say, assume that you are a part of a local body. It named, they name real people, like real houses that these churches meet in. And they say, and when you're done with this letter, like in the Colossians, then share this letter across the street. That doesn't say across the street, right? But take this letter and swap letters and read the one that I wrote them and, like, and, and do that. And so there's real people named, there's real letters delivered, there's real houses they stay in, there's real houses they meet in, there's real leaders known. They're all there throughout. So read an epistle, you will see that there's no kind of epistle written just to some blob, you know, just kind of, oh, this is just for anybody. No, it was for people in a specific time, in a specific place, and relating to God and trying to live out their faith. And by God's grace toward us, we were able to read these and go, okay, now, Lord, these were written to these people in that time and that place, but we know this word is for all of us. So how does this relate to Genesis? How does this relate to how we walk with you? So let's go through those three. I said Acts, First uh, Peter, Hebrews. We're going to go Acts and First Peter, and then we'll do Hebrews. First thing that we're going to see in Acts and in 
First Peter is that leaders, and I'll speak specifically of elders, but leaders exercise care for their congregation. Now, that doesn't seem like that wowing of a statement, does it? That leaders exercise care. Elders exercise care for their congregation. It shouldn't wow you uh, because you should all recognize it. We should all recognize it, but we often don't. And so there's specific statements that we can read about how leaders are to be, elders, pastors, are to exercise care for their congregation. We'll start with Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 happens on Paul's third missionary journey. His third missionary journey. So he has gone and he has preached and he has proclaimed and he's planted churches and he's raised up leaders and he's made many disciples, as the book of Acts will say. He did his first journey, he came back. He did his second journey, he came back. He's on his third journey, he's headed back. He gets to the coast of Asia Minor and he says he wants to meet with the Ephesian elders. Well, on his journey, he had spent a lot of time in Ephesus teaching. He rents out a hall that somebody owns and he rents it out and teaches about Jesus, the Messiah. And so he has, I do think he has this this unique place in his heart for the Ephesians. In fact, if you read the book of Ephesians, you don't really see Paul correcting anything to the church at Ephesus. Now, in Revelation, Jesus does have some things to correct to the church in Ephesus. But in the book of Ephesians, there's no specific heresy that he's trying to counteract. There's no specific wrong or, 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 or congregational issue that he's trying to address. It really is just a statement of what, what God has done for the church and what that means and how they might live it out. And so there was a, a fondness, it seems, for Ephesus in Paul's heart. And you ever done this? You ever gone somewhere? I was actually just talking last week, about, or maybe like two days ago with this, about a friend who like, I was like, he's like, hey, will you be, how close will you be to this city in th- during Thanksgiving. I'm like, I'm three hours away, you know, and I was like, but if you're going to be there, let me see how I could get to you, because that's the closest we'll probably be for another two or three years. So that's probably the closest proximity will be for two or three years. So let me see what I can do. You ever done that, right? You have somebody nearby, and you go, this is as close as I'll get, so let me see. So when they stop, Paul doesn't actually go inland to go speak to the Ephesian elders. He brings them to where he is, right? Where he just can't kind of... And so they come and he speaks to them and that's what we get in Acts chapter 20. There are three speeches in the book of Acts that you get to see that are long form from the Apostle Paul. I'm not talking about Peter's speech in Acts chapter two, but Paul speaks in the synagogue, he speaks to Greeks, and then he speaks to leaders, he speaks to elders. So you see that in his first missionary journey, his second missionary journey, third missionary journey, there are these speeches, but they, his audience changes each time. And now he is a, an apostle, church planter, pastor, speaking to the pastors of the church in Ephesus. And there's this, this phrase, this one sentence that he uses in Acts 20, 28, where he says to, to the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves, watch yourselves, and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, there's more things that happen in Acts chapter 20 than that statement. But that statement is where you begin to see this exhortation or this command to the leaders and how they are to pay attention. And he speaks about how wolves are going to come up from within, teaching wrong things to lead disciples, uh, disciples astray. There will be these influences that come from without. And so you're going to face battles from within, and you're going to face battles from without in regard to misunderstanding and misrepresenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so pay attention, and notice how he says it. Pay attention to yourselves and pay attention to the flock. Pay attention to yourselves and pay attention to the flock. Both of those are part of the ministry of a local church pastor, a local church elder. 
that they have to watch their own heart because they are certainly not above reproach. They are, I mean, not in, in, they're certainly not beyond mistake. Above reproach is a qualification, so let me clear that up. Um, they're not beyond a mistake. They're not beyond sin. They're not beyond error. So watch out for yourself. And watch out for the flock. Watch out for yourself and watch out for the flock. And there's a specific domain that you see. The flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. It's another word for elder or that leader, that pastor, right? Elder, pastor, bishop, overseer. All those words kind of fit the same, the same idea of shepherding. So watch for yourselves and watch for the flock. The Holy Spirit, not just some dudes. He always feels like, well, people set me aside. But no, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to make you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so in this, you see a task you see the person who assigned the task, and you see the seriousness of the task. Task, right? Take care of yourself and the flock. The person who assigned the task is the Spirit. And the seriousness of the task is you're caring for people whom Jesus has purchased. So take care to do this well. But it's interesting because if you probably polled the church at Ephesus, they wouldn't be confused in what that meant for them. They wouldn't go, well, i got to go down to Thessalonica and take care of those people too. Or the church at Antioch needs some care too, so I'm going to go there. Or the church in Jerusalem. or uh, the church, right? like they, they, they go, oh, okay, Holy Spirit, here, <laughs> the church at Ephesus, this is the place where I care. These are the people that I care for. These are the people that I'm invested in. Right? It had a specific scope of awareness and a span of care that they had, which was that place where the Spirit made them overseers. And the seriousness of the task is, this is something God is doing. He's obtaining people with his own blood. And so you have to take the task seriously. So you see in Acts chapter 20, that they're entrusted with the flock. They would watch themselves and the flock, because the Holy Spirit has made them overseers, and that flock is bought by Christ. So that's a serious task. It's a serious task. So it seems like the leaders would be aware of the people that they were to care for. <clears throat> you get to see this seriousness drawn out further in Peter. You guys know Peter. If you just finished up our, uh, our <clears throat> Bible reading plan, we finished the Gospels last week, and so now we're through the Gospels, we're into the book of Acts, we're seeing Peter do all these mighty things now. But you were also there. He was the guy that was chopping off a dude's ear when they were coming to get Jesus, and Jesus was like, Peter, stop it, then heals the ear, puts it back on, uh, because Peter's being an idiot like all of us, and just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sure that I can fight for you, Lord, and Peter, or the Lord, it's almost like the Lord's going, did you not understand anything that we've said? Are you paying zero attention to this thing? And so we know Peter because Peter's the guy we can all relate to. Right? Like, as, as, as you're reading the book of Acts, I call Peter and John uneducated common men. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I totally get it. Like, fishermen, like, I, I know that world. I know that world. Even Peter, in his letter, in 2 Peter, which I love, and you, this can be encouragement for us because we have divinely inspired 2 Peter saying to his congregation to which he is writing, it is hard to understand Paul. It's like the Lord gave us that inspiration to go, okay, good, so it's not just me? It's not just me? Peter's like, it's not just you, it's all of us. And like, but under the authority of the Holy Spirit, Peter is saying, he's 
he's confusing. Why? Because he's educated beyond his own need, right? He, just, he has too many degrees in the wall. He's too smart. His Greek is too good. He knows too many languages. Peter's like, let's go fishing. Let me tell you a story. You're like, that's the guy that I like. I want to talk to him. And so, right, in Acts chapter 20, Paul's giving his long speech as to why it matters. And then Peter's like, let me dumb it down for you. Let me talk to you about shepherding people. And he does this in 1 Peter chapter 5. In fact, the letter that Peter writes in 1 Peter is all about suffering. And it gets toward the end, and he begins to speak about how to care for those people. Because honestly, as you suffer, isn't it, don't you need care? I mean, as you, as you go through toil and suffering and pain, don't you need people to care for you? And you need people that, honestly, you can trust. You need people who are invested in your good. You need people that you can't go, what's their angle here? What are they trying to do here? And honestly, I mean, the longer you're in church, the more church wounds you get. I get the suspicions that we have about church leaders and pastors in particular because we're a pretty bad bunch at times. The, the, the ways that the Lord speaks to the shepherds of Israel in Ezekiel or in Jeremiah, right, that are really ominous in their tone about how you didn't care for the sheep, and so there's going to have to be a shepherd that comes after. And then what do you hear Jesus say to people, but I am the good shepherd, right? I'm not like these leaders. I'm not like these people. But isn't it interesting that even after Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he sets up shepherds for his church, right? It's not... It's like when, when something doesn't go right or go, you don't blame the model necessarily. You don't mind the structure the Lord set up, right? It's the people who screw it up. It's the people who screw it up. It's not the Lord. And so we can all wander from these ideas and these truths and how to shepherd and how to care. But you see this as well in First Peter. He speaks as an elder to elders. And so he says this in First Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. He says, So I exhort the elders... If you want to say pastors or shepherds among you, you could say that. As a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, which is an important aspect of apostleship, witnessing what Jesus had done, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Interesting. It's similar language to what you see in Acts 20, right? Take care for yourself and take care of the flock. Peter says the same thing. Shepherd the flock of God. And then look at this. That is, what does it say? Among you. Among you. All right? When I wake up in the morning and I look over and Courtney's there, I'm not shocked. I'm not like, whoa, what are you doing here? Why is there a woman in my bed? Like, I don't, I don't do that. Why? Because she's my wife. And I go, hey, there's an expectation that you are among us. Now, if my children come in or they wake up and they're doing whatever they do in the morning to get ready for school, I don't, I'm not surprised by that. Why? Because we all reside at the same place, the same address, the same home. I know them. They know me. We are among each other. So when Peter says, shepherd the flock that is among you, again, do you think the elders are confused? No. I have a place that I care I have a group of people that I care for. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, right? Providing leadership to that flock, which I had to stop. I want to stop for a second because 
this is, I, honestly, how can I say this, right? Do I have this as an aside? I don't, this is a new aside. I don't have it in my outline. This is one of the most difficult things for American churches to deal with. We just hate authority. Can we say it like that? We hate authority. We don't like people telling us what they think would be good for our souls. We don't like people telling us how they would like us to live. We don't like people explaining things to us that we think would be more beneficial to them. And we don't like submitting. We're uninterested in those things. And if that is where we're going to be, then understanding how to function as a New Testament church is going to be very far away. Because listening to, submitting to, and honoring one another is a necessary element of being in a church family. But it is one of the more uncomfortable things to do to tell people what's going on in your life and ask them to actually give you their opinion on what might be best. But so often we consider the advice of, let's say, our elders, our church leaders, people who are, whose care we are trusting ourselves to, so often we don't go anywhere near that. We change jobs like it's no big deal. We move like it's no big deal. It's like, oh, that's just a part of what you do. And I go, I don't think it is. I honestly don't think it is. I think if we're a family, then we ask one another about the things that are going on that might affect the family. That we actually are encouraged to go, hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? This is a purchase I'm trying to make. What do you think about that? And that, it, the reason that we stay away from that is because we're afraid of somebody coming in and you know, meddling with our stuff or giving us the wrong advice, whatever that might be. I get it. But this isn't something that we often do. We show up to church with new vehicles, we have new jobs, we've taken on new debt, we've lived new lives. Never once have we actually considered what other people might be able to encourage us in. Because this is, again, so far away from how we think about living. Here's the decision I'm trying to make. Here's what's before me. It's, you know, I'm not sure what is best. What do you think is best? I don't know what's best. I don't know what to do here. I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to be this, like, convictionless fool by goodness, no, not at all. But exercising oversight, being concerned for the good of the flock, being interested in their well-being, praying for them, listening to them, being concerned about what might glorify God. We do, we all need that. We all need that. Exercising oversight, we just run from that. We run from people who, because we're afraid that they're gonna mess with our freedoms, man. And I tell you what, not that concerned about it. Not that concerned about it. You're a Christian before you're an American, and you just got to get over it. You got to get over it. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, which means no one can force you to be an elder. No, 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 we need you. That happens a lot in church, right? We just, you know, the bylaws say we need to have seven, and we have six. So, Who's underqualified but might get there? Uh, you. Come on over. I don't want to do it, but okay, if you need me to. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, that you enter into it. This also means, though, that there might be people in your church who are qualified to be elders who aren't because they don't desire to be. They actually just don't want to step into it. And if that's the case, you go, I wonder why that is. Could you tell me why that is? And then you go, okay, because the last thing you need is a compelled leader, 
right? Like that's, that's no fun for anybody. They're just mad all the time or bothered that they're there. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, has to do with being paid. Your access and payment and funds, like, because, right, you can, you can make a living off of that. And she so go, well, I'll go to the churches that pay the best, right? Well, what are you doing then? You're, you're trying to gain from shepherding. And he's going, you don't, do that. you don't do it to gain, but you just eagerly serve because it's what you do. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So you don't control, you don't yell, you don't scream, you don't force, but you set an example. Now, you see these, these two ideas? Acts chapter 20, pay careful attention to yourself and to the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. 1 Peter 5, shepherd the flock of God that is among you and gives all of these illustrations on what shepherding means. Membership helps us, and when I say us, I mean elders. Membership helps churches with pastors know for whom they're directly caring. It really does. Like, who, who, who said, I'm here? Those are the people I need to know. And this is why. And, and, and it is a structure, and it does exist, you know, in the U.S. Like, it might not exist in other places, or it does exist in some church expressions differently. But here's why. It's because there's a church right here. There's a church down the road. There's a church around the corner. Like, like you can't throw a rock and not hit a church by mistake or a church member. And so, right, you just go, well, all right, Lord, cut all that away. Who's among me? Who do I care for? Who's among me and who do I care for? And I tell you what, this is for us, and like our elder conversations can be one of the most freeing things. Because, you know, when just somebody swoops in and says, this doesn't happen a lot, if not ever, but like, we'll get the random email that's like, could you please answer these questions about your church? And I'm like, I don't even know who that person is. No, I don't, like, like this could be a trap for all I know. You know, like, like I, I don't know what they're looking for. I don't know who this person is. No, I can't answer those questions. would be happy to meet with you and discuss our church. But if a member is engaged in something and wants to talk about something, right, well, what is that? That goes up on my list of important things. It doesn't mean that I just go, hey, sorry, not a member, you're out, you're like, you're dead to me. I don't do that, I don't play that game, none of us do. But it does help to go, these are the people that are here. These are the people that we primarily care for. And it also helps, and this is an uncomfortable thing for us, again, because it has to do with people saying things about us that they think we should maybe change. But without this structure, a biblical function can't happen very well, and that function is discipline. Like churches honestly get sued for disciplining people who aren't a part of their church. And you think they are just because they've been around. It's like a common law marriage, right? Well, you've just been around a lot, so we thought you were members. And so when you started to go astray and we confronted you on it, we didn't realize that you weren't actually here, and now we're being sued for it. It actually happens. Now, I'm not saying membership, you get, become a church member to avoid getting sued, you know, because that would be ridiculous. But if, if church discipline is really the, the removal of membership and the withholding of communion from real people with real names and real addresses, well, how do you do that if you don't know who these people are? Right? With the goal of their restoration to whom? Right? And, and, and where? Because if the aim is to restore, well, what are we being restored to? And this is what happens, honestly, is that people 
go under discipline, and then they just kind of disappear, and they leave, and they find another church. They just move on to another church because it's hard for people to know our stuff. It's difficult. And so when Jesus gives a structure of confronting people and then telling the church, which is interesting because Jesus is speaking about a structure that really isn't there yet as he's in Matthew 18 speaking about discipline, right? Confront, bring a witness, tell the church. He gives that kind of flow of how to do that and then treat them as an unbeliever. This process, well, how does this happen if we don't have a a place to exercise that, that care and concern? So leaders exercise, pastors exercise care for their congregation. That's reason number one that I think membership is absolutely a biblical idea. Or else you just run around as a pastor going, do I need to care for this person and that person and that person and that person? And your net becomes the city. Well, that can certainly be a place of your concern for the witness and reputation of Jesus. But when it comes to people, which people do we care for? Do we pray for? Are we invested in their holiness, in their sanctification, in their growth, in their engagement? Which people is that? The ones who have said, I'm here. Now here's the flip side of that. Look out, right? You gotta talk about one side, you talk about the other. This is where Hebrews comes in, and this is where we all kind of shudder, myself included. The book of Hebrews, don't know who the author of the book of Hebrews is, but essentially it sounds like that congregation was a group of Jewish Christians who were being tempted to go back into previous ways of living because again persecution comes up and you don't want to get persecuted so if you attach yourself to the ancient religion of Judaism that's safer than attaching yourself to this new way of operating and even in the Old Testament you'll see or the New Testament you'll see the phrasing of like the followers of Jesus as followers of the way you see that even in the in the book of Acts calling it the way right the way of Jesus and so In the book of Hebrews, we have all this explanation about really the the author's going, please don't leave Jesus. And he gives reasons. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than the sacrificial system. Jesus is better than all of these things. And so please, please don't leave Jesus because I tell you what, it's not better. It's not better to be away from your Savior. I promise Right? Like that's a whole, like the book of Hebrews just goes on and on about all these arguments for why you have to stay. And then as it pivots towards the end, and he starts to go, and look at all these people who endured, who stayed faithful, who remained. And some of them did great things for the Lord, and some of them were killed for the Lord. But that's okay, right? Because we have this great cloud of witnesses, let us set our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Right? Like, like that's, that's where it's headed. And then as you get into chapter 13, the last chapter, he starts to give a few exhortations. And if you've been able to read to the end of Hebrews and you have found this way, right, because it's about serving, about operating in a, in a holy manner before the Lord, and you get to chapter 13 and you get actually to verse 17 and you read this. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Goodness. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And again, we read this, and we read it as Americans, and we go, nobody owns me, nobody has a right to tell me what to do, I don't obey, I don't submit, I don't do anything if I don't want to. Well, that's true regardless, right? 
Like, that's just true regardless, right? We can all be fools. But you have this exhortation now to the congregation. So what do we have in Acts chapter 20 and in 1 Peter 5, but apostles speaking to leaders, pastors, elders. This is how you shepherd. And it gives this whole way in which they're supposed to do it. Watch for yourself. Don't do it uh, under compulsion. Do it eagerly. Do it as an example to the flock. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Care for these. You have all these ways you're supposed to do it. So let, it, let us for a moment assume that those conditions are being met. And then you have the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews speaks to the flip side of it and goes, listen to your leaders. Submit to them. And it gives a reason. And it's not because they're awesome. It's because they give an account to Jesus. They give an account to Jesus. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And so then, as you look at the second half of verse 17, what the author is saying here is, make it easy for them. Make it easy for them. (laughs) Because that's heavy enough. And so, don't, don't be difficult about it. Don't be frustrated at every decision. Don't always communicate your displeasure because that's of no advantage to you. Why? Because then you become the church member that the elders avoid. I mean, if you're not that, you will be. We all are. I'm the elder the elders avoid at times. I mean, I'll even tell them, I'm like, hey guys, you don't want me to step into this conversation because I do it badly. That's what I said half our retreat. I was, like, I was like, I'm really bad at talking about this. I promise I am. Rock is even like, at, he's laughing. Never see Rock laugh. But like he knows. <laughs> because I'm sitting there going, this is hard. These conversations are difficult for me. They're hard for me. And so like I'm not exempt. I'm not exempt going, oh yeah, well, n- uh, you know, no one gives an account for me. Or I don't give an account for these guys. Right? We all go before the Lord and give an account. But those who shepherd the flock do respond to the Lord in regard to how they have related to that flock. And so making their job easy. Not easy in the sense of like they don't have to think about anything. But don't make it overbearing. Don't make it too difficult. Don't make it too frustrating. Email's the worst because it just makes everyone so accessible. Hey, can we talk about this thing? Sure, I guess. You didn't really give me an answer because you hit send. Uh, so <clears throat> we'll talk about it. And so what it means is listen to your leaders because they give an account. So might they do it with joy? And just think about it for you parents in the room, your grandparents, just think about what that might mean in a moment. Like, is it easier with your children or your grandkids when you set a course and they go with you or that you set a course and they complain the whole time? Right? You're even, honestly, you're even more willing to course correct when everyone's just on board. <laughs> you're much more willing to go, hey, maybe this was the wrong decision. When everyone's like, yeah, let's go. It's almost like that thing happens in all our hearts when people are just like frustrated all the time. You go, you know what, forget it. We call it, we call the play, and we're going to stick with it because I'm, I'm not going to deal with all the frustration anymore, right? We're, I will turn this car around like you do on your vacation if you guys keep doing whatever, right? So, so we have this, like, this, this, this interchange between Acts, 1 Peter, and Hebrews where we go, okay, leaders care for their flock. And there's, a, there's a way in which they do it. And, and members obey their leaders and they do this so that the leadership can do it well because they give an account 
So as we go through this idea, I asked the question in our member class, how do you know who your leaders are if you're not part of a local church? How do you know? Like, how do you know the people to whom you're supposed to listen and the people that, who are there to care for you and the people who are engaged in your life and concerned about your soul if you aren't a part of a local church? How do you do that? Otherwise, you're just kind of a ministry-free agent. And honestly, many people treat themselves that way. You know, I kind of go along to this church for a little while and I invest there until I'm ready to go and I go to this church for a little while and, you know, I just participate as much as I'm allowed and then I move on. So leaders exercise care for their congregation and those in the congregation obey and submit to their leaders. And, and, and as I look at just church life, this demands some kind of way for us to know who's a part of this thing, right? Because on a Sunday morning, anybody can come in. And we are concerned for everyone who comes in. And we pray in the mornings for everyone who comes in, not just the members who come in. And we're interested in everyone who comes in. And we, and we, and we, and we care about knowing the people who come in. And we want, those who are new in town or those looking for a church family, we want to talk about those things. And I'll even say, man, if it's not this church family, find another one. Like, how can I help you? I got family at churches. I know people. Like, what do you need? Uh, because more than somebody who joins this church, my concern is that they do, if they're in Christ, join a church. And giving yourself over to that place and those people and caring for those people and being invested in those people, that's what we long for. And so you see these, kind of, these three pastors together, and of course there are more, but I think these three cover a lot of ground in regard to how leaders in the congregation relate together. Now, this is the funny part, is when I went through this in one member class, and the guy was like, man, I really feel that you guys are really interested in, like, your elders being in control. I was like, that's actually not the point at all. First, we exercise very little control. Um, Secondly, it's not control, it's concern. But if we come from a history of being wounded or hurt or just distrusting then we think it's control when somebody's interested in our lives. And, we, and, and we're worried that they're going to they're gonna, you know, slap our hand or yell at us or be frustrated with us or angry with us or going to go back and tell everybody and then we're going to be kicked out of the church. Like They're worried about that. And quite honestly, that rarely happens. Rarely happens. Just in the course of church life, that rarely happens. You don't get to know people to control them. You get to know people to care for them. But we have been conditioned, honestly, by our culture and by just people and podcasts and movements to go, I just, you know, anyone in authority is bad. Anyone in authority is bad. I wouldn't even just say conditioned by that, but just conditioned by the fact that we live in America. Honestly, like, this sermon, if I would preach it in some context and even in some countries, people would be like, this isn't even a thing. Like, why are you spending so much time talking about it? Like, of course you listen to your leaders. Of course you go to, like, I remember talking to, and you're going to laugh at this because, like, I just don't, I've shared this before, but um, I was back in, like, early COVID. I was getting an email from one of my students who's a physician in Hong Kong. I've shared this story. And they were trying to get back into how they do church life. And they had specific rules for how you had to participate in church life. And, like, it was like you had to sit every other seat. And, you know, like, they had, like, mask ushers. They would go through and they'd be sure that you're wearing your mask the correct way. And I know people here in Texas might laugh at that. Honestly, it didn't bother me at all. Why? Because the leader set a trajectory and the congregation goes, okay. Right? Like, you want to participate? You participate. And so it was more like, just so glad we can get back together. This is like, 
Let's get back together. And if it's odd, it's odd. That's fine, right? So I'm saying in some context, sharing, you know, listening and responding and caring and giving engagement, like, like in some context, that doesn't even, it's not even a thing. But Americans are so low in our, honestly, our trust of and respect for authority because it's baked into who we are. So our, our power distance is really low, and we just have a very hard time understanding authority. But here's the thing. Read the Old Testament, read into the New Testament. Authority comes from God. It doesn't come from man. Authority comes from God. And the Christian has, the Christian has a way that in the power of the Spirit, the Christian has a way to respond to authority. In fact, in Peter, his argument is even, hey, when you're wronged, when an authority treats you wrongly, praise God. Because Jesus had the same thing happen to him. And so it wasn't even like fight for your rights and tell them they're wrong. It was, you just look more like your savior. You look more like your savior. So this is what I would say with my little bit of time remaining for us is to take membership seriously, join a church and commit to it. Right? If not this one, another one. If you need help finding another one, let me know. We can help you find another one. But take it seriously. Because this is what happens. And it happens so often. I see it so often with people. Is they move into town and they just spend one year, two years, three years finding a church. Or a kid gets involved in activities. And, they, like, and so like they just kind of, like a rock skipping along the surface of water, they just kind of skip along the surface of church for years. And they don't even realize that much time has gone by. And they don't even know what they miss anymore. And they don't even know what they participate in. And they haven't had a meaningful conversation about what's going on in the scriptures and what's going on in their hearts. They haven't had meaningful interactions with folks for years. Why? Because, I mean, Jesus kind of says it like this. The ways of the world, right? The concerns about this world, what's going on in this world, the love for money, these things start to creep in <laughs> and choke out our commitment to Jesus. He teaches about that. He teaches about, yeah, the world is going to try and distract you. It's going to try and keep you engaged in other things. It's going to keep you trying and focused in different ways. And that is one of the reasons we need to be together. That is one of the reasons we need to pray for one another. It's one of the reasons we need to care for one another, be engaged in what's going on with one another. And I would say on the same, on the same thing, we don't generally, speaking on behalf of, I know there might still be an aversion to just leaders in general, we don't generally, that I know of, when somebody's talking to us about, you know, this church or what's going on, don't yell. We don't say, no, you can never leave. Like, we don't have any of those conversations, right? Like, it's just not, why? Because that'd be foolish. That would be foolish. So we don't get angry, right? We don't, well, I'm probably the one that had most likely to be angry about anything, but these guys know that and call me on it often enough. And so, when I say join, I just mean entrust yourself to the care of people. Entrust yourself to the care of people. Be engaged with those people. And it's not just for the sake of the leader and the congregant, but also for the sake of all of us. Because isn't it different, like, when you're in? <laughs> when you're in, you're in. When you're committed, you're committed. When you're part of it, you're part of it. And that's a, that's a totally different way of interacting relationally. 
when you do that. So leaders exercise care for their congregations. Members obey and submit to their leaders. If I were to add anything, it would just be that we operate together and serve. And like, like, where do we do the things that we just preached about for 10 weeks? If not here, if not with these people, if not in these spaces, where do we do them? Where do we express giftedness? And where do we care? And where do we give concern? And where did those things that we spent 10 weeks talking about, I know many of you were listening because we would talk about it after the service or in between, you talk about your groups. I know we're all kind of orbiting around these ideas. Where do they express themselves most clearly? But here, not in the Sunday morning service only or exclusively, but with the people who have committed to the place. That's where it expresses itself. So when I say, take it seriously, join a church, commit to it, that's what I mean. Be in. Be in. I mean, honestly, sometimes we spend way more time deciding if, like, what school we're going to go to and give more investment there than we would do with like our churches. We put more, and like we, we don't ask anybody else their opinion. We don't even necessarily pray about it. We just kind of go. It's like, be like, take it seriously. Be a part of it. And if and when the Lord moves you on, then the Lord moves you on. Like, that's okay. The Lord moves you on. And it happens with tears and conversation, and it's hard. But then the Lord moves you on. Harder is when you wake up in the morning and you think your son's going to come downstairs and he doesn't. And you go, Where? where's my son? It's been like four weeks. I haven't, even, I haven't seen him anywhere. Oh, he joined a new family. All right. All right. And funny, final thing. When people actually give in our member class instruction on how to leave a church, I just go, hey, how do we leave? Like this? You know, or in these ways. But also, we don't want people just to join our church who are leaving a hurt from another. We go, maybe it's better for the Lord and maybe better for his reputation wherever you're going that you actually reconcile those relationships. And if possible, stay with those people. And if not possible, I mean, okay, being in a church is important. But like, we're not also just like big gate going, anybody who wants to come in, come on in, right? Because we don't want your baggage, right? The 70 whatever people here, like they bring enough baggage. And so like, we don't want to just open up the floodgates for anybody to bring their other church baggage on in because that's, you know, it's kind of hard. And so we'll say even then, because we're caretakers of the flock, maybe it would be better if you went back and reconciled that relationship. Maybe you should have a conversation with that leader if you're able. Maybe you should talk about why you're leaving. Have you talked to anybody about that? And so we'll even go through that conversation as people consider joining. Because it's not about Genesis. Right? It's not about Genesis gaining or losing. It's about the reputation of Jesus and how we are able to reflect him to this world. And that's what we want to do. We want to do it as well as we can. We want to do it as well as we can, committed together to serve the Lord and all that he has. So that's, I'll leave it at that. I could keep going, but I'll leave it at that. Take it seriously. Join a church. If not this one, which one? And be there. Be there.